0: Ala ala alihi wa min Welcome back to our class the beginning of guidance by the great scholar the Hujatul islam the proof of islam Imam Ghazali may Allah reward him continuously and raise his rank on our behalf inshallah and give him uh, the best of results forever in the highest place of jannah Amin. and uh, also we make the same dua for the great and erudite uh, scholar al-imam muhammad nawawi al-jawi uh, who wrote many many books uh, at least 40 and some tremendous commentaries and one of those happens to be this Morocco al-abudiya uh, which is the commentary that we are studying on till uh, till hidayah the beginning of guidance by Imam al-Ghazali. So may we benefit always from these two scholars and from all the scholars in our um, scholarly and spiritual tradition, inshallah. And may Allah uh, never take us away from this path of knowledge and from those who have mastered this knowledge and who have been able to give it over to us in the most complete way inshallah and may he uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala overlook um, our shortcomings and give us the best of what we hear and enable us to follow it and um, forgive us for our shortcomings inshallah so today we are continuing uh with our class on the um amrad of the Qalb, so the illnesses of the heart and maasiyatul qalb actually is what it is which is the transgressions of the heart and avoiding them so we'll start with our dua inshallah rahim. this is our dua from imam haddad and it uh, you can read it in arabic or in english whatever works for you inshallah so this is our dua for seeking knowledge inshallah bismillahir rahmanir rahim Noetu ta'alamu wa ta'alim wa t-tadkura wa tadhkir nafa naf' wal intifa wal ifada wal istifada wal hatha ala tamassuki bikita billahi wa sunnati rasulihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa dua ila al-huda wa al ala al-khair Ibtigha وَجَهِ wa mardatihi wa kurbihi wa وَتَعَالَى subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ameen. Okay, again, you're probably all familiar with this. Um, just as a general reminder, which most people don't need, but in case somebody is new, um, just uh, observing the uh, requirement to make it a women's only group, inshallah and um please be uh please have your hair covered at least if you can't be in a state of huddle and uh questions will be answered at the end uh inshallah and also we have our telegram group um, which you can join and also uh facebook and instagram as well and please contact us on missgwomen at gmail.com if you have any inquiries or comments or anything that you would like to share Okay so we're going to continue from last week where we had an introduction to the illnesses of the heart and in this particular text Imam Ghazali has mentioned only three uh, which he says are really the foundational ones and these are illnesses that a person needs to get over if they are going to get over all the other uh, illnesses of the heart. So these are what they would call the, the Ummahat, if you like, which is the mother of the, or the mothers of the illnesses. So these are what we saw last week. So we had Hasad, which was uh, envy and jealousy. And today, inshallah, we're going to look at Ria, which is ostentation, and at ajab, which is conceit. And that also includes uh, arrogance and pride. So those two today inshallah if we get through the text here. So we'll just read this particular section. We haven't really gone into the Arabic text at all. Um, This is this class I guess is more of a class for meaning rather than for going into the text. But if we read a little bit inshallah there's some barakah in that. The next section is much longer uh, which we won't read from. But just to get some some feel of the text and Imam Ghazali's actual writing then we we'll just take a small part. So he starts with Waamar Ria and as for Ria ostentation, Fahua shirkul khafi, Wahua ahada shirkain, Wadalika tolabuka al menzi letter, fi kulubil khalki, litanala biha al jaha wal hishma. Wahubul jahi minal hawa al mutabi wa fihi halaka ket. هلك أكثر الناس فما أهلك الناس إلا الناس ولو أنصف أكثر الناس لعلم أن أكثر ما هم فيه من العلوم والعبادات فضلا عن أعمال العادات ليس يحملهم عليها إلا مراءة الناس وهي محبطة للأعمال كما ورد في الخبر and this is a hadith that the Prophet ﷺ said: Inna shahida yumarubihi yom al qiyamati ila nahr, fiyakul ya Rabbi istushhidtu fi sabilik, fiyakul Allah Taala aradta an yuqal inna ka shujaa wa qila dalik, wadalik ajruk, wa kadalik yuqalu lil alami, lil alimi wal haji wal ghazi wal qari so he says ostentation is a hidden form of ascribing partners to allah it's one of the two forms of shirk or idolatry it consists in your seeking status in the hearts of people to obtain fame and veneration through acts of worship love of fame stems from the destructive pursuit of following one's inclinations It is this love that destroys most people, for nothing destroys people except people themselves. If most people were fair about themselves, they would realise that it is only their desire to show off which motivated them to seek sacred knowledge and perform acts of worship, ibadat, not to mention the performance of customary activities, and this motive renders their acts worthless. It is narrated in a tradition. On the day of resurrection, orders will be given to take the martyr to the fire. He will entreat, O oh Lord, I was martyred fighting in your path. Allah will proclaim, You wanted it to be said that you were brave, and it was said, and that is your reward. Narrated by a Muslim. And Imam Ghazali tells us that the same will be said to the scholar, the pilgrim to Mecca, the soldier, and to the reciter of the Quran. Okay, so let's have a look at what Imam Ujahwi tells us about uh, riyāh, ostentation. So one of the first things he tells us is that the word riyāh comes from ruya, which is the Mustar form meaning seeing. So it comes from seeing, wanting to be seen. So as he says, his acts that people perform in order to be seen, and it mostly refers to good deeds. So people want others to acknowledge their piety and their commitment and their dedication, their worship and that's the things that people want to be acknowledged for. So it specifically relates to, to those types of activities. And uh, he starts with saying that uh, ostentation is a hidden form of ascribing partners to Allah, which Imam Ghazali says Shirkul khafi. so it's the hidden shirk. Um, it's a the hidden type of associating partners with Allah um, and in a hadith here it says shirk so be aware and protect yourselves and be fearful of the small shirk and why is it ascribing partners to Allah because it's seeking a type of approval from other people So ultimately we know that our deeds are only accepted by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala but if we go and perform acts of worship or acts of charity or other good deeds in front of people seeking for them to validate those deeds or seeking uh, from them some type of approval then in fact what we have done is put their approval on the same level Um, as the approval that we would be seeking from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but the difference is that people can't reward us for it only Allah can and only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can actually accept those deeds Uh, but our wanting other people to approve is the part which is ascribing partnership um, to him subhanahu wa ta'ala So when it comes to the showing off and uh, seeking um, status in the hearts of people, then we, we want them to, to value what we've done. And we want to acquire a certain rank in their hearts. And um, the text says that we want to seek al-ja, which is a type of status um, or a position in their hearts, wal-hishma. And I had to look up that word hishma because it's usually used um, in associate in association with women's dress. So if a woman is covered with hishma, it means that she's dressed properly, she's in proper hijab, and that she is uh, fully covered. So it is another word for haya, which is um, to be modest. And but that doesn't really give the meaning here that we're looking for. So. I thought what does it actually mean and it means to to have adab so it means to be more adab in front of somebody else and to have the best of character and the best type of um, morals and behavior in front of other people so the thing is that it's an interesting word because when somebody shows off to others the position that they're seeking in the heart of that person that they're showing off to is a type of rank but also that that person should have adab towards them so you're really seeking something that's very hidden because you don't just want for example a verbal acknowledgement or you don't just feel satisfied that the person has seen you do something but you actually want for them to change their behavior and their way of dealing with you and to deal with you in a way that is uh, as though you were somebody of very high status and worthy and deserving of them to lower themselves to you. So it's actually more than just looking good, you actually want something from people's hearts. And for that it's quite dangerous and that's really the, one of the hidden parts of it as well. And he tells us Imam al-Ghazali that uh, loving or wanting this type of fame or status Um, comes from following the destructive uh, pursuit of your inclination Uh, so it's it's not something that would just happen spontaneously but it's actually deep inside of you that you you want that to be your rank with other people and you actually uh, are thinking whether you're very conscious of it or not most likely conscious of it but what you're actually um, doing is trying to seek a way to gain that status in the hearts of other people and he says one of the main reasons for that is the love of leadership and he uses the word aryasa which means to be in a position of authority and leadership and uh, this is really something that is very destructive to seek leadership because In order to be a leader, you have to be venerated to a certain degree, or you have to have people's hearts incline towards you to a certain extent. Um, Otherwise, they wouldn't see your contribution or your personality or the strengths and um, skills that you have as being valuable enough to put you in a leadership position above them. And we could talk a lot about that, um, a lot about leadership and particularly the way that the whole construction of it at the moment in our um, social and cultural and academic discourses um, and how that's going and what that consists of. So the problem with leadership and the way that it's presented to Muslims and particularly the way it's coming from um, academia is that it's presented as sort of the ultimate... Um, the ultimate goal that people should be aspiring to and we're seeing that come out in a lot of our Muslim um, social and cultural places as well where particularly women are being encouraged to go into what they call Muslim leadership and having uh, Muslim women um, authorities in the community who don't necessarily um, who are not necessarily encouraged to be authorities in knowledge or deen but they're encouraged to be social leaders amongst young women or even older women and to be able to come out and be spokespeople for their community and this really is a little bit well i say a little bit perhaps a bit more contrary to uh, what leadership in the islamic tradition consists of so what we're doing is where we're tending to take from these models which are being developed in academia and which are being imposed upon different communities all over the place and acting upon those as though somehow that's there's something inherently Islamic about that or that somehow through the enactment of those models that we're actually developing and advancing our communities. And uh, it is a little bit problematic because as I said These models are not founded on anything that's rooted in our Islamic scholarly and spiritual tradition, but rather they have got to do with uh, equality, inclusion, bringing people sort of forward and giving them their voice. So this whole point of giving people a platform and a position in order to voice what they have to say and equating that with a position of leadership is the model that we are using and it's problematic because it doesn't fit very well with what we know from our tradition about leadership whereby those who are the best leaders are the ones who usually don't seek it and they're often reluctant to come forward and that anybody who really wants to be a leader is probably not going to be the best leader because they may not be seeking it uh, in the in the purest of way and in the way that is uh, going to enable them to fulfill the very deep and profound trust the amana of what it means to lead people in a community but rather it might be tainted uh, with some of this riya with some of this um, wanting to seek a place of a veneration or status in the hearts of other people and have people behave in a um, subdued and humble and courteous way towards them as Imam Ghazali has uh, mentioned here. Okay, so that's just a little point about that and hopefully something that might help you uh, reconcile some of these issues and some of these new ideas that keep cropping up in our communities and we're not always sure where they come from or what to do with them. Okay, so Imam Ghazali says that if people were fair about themselves, so in this sense of if they were really objective about themselves and they would and their behaviour, they would realise that it's only their desire to show off which actually motivated them to seek sacred knowledge and perform acts of worship. And he says, and not to mention customary activities. So in a lot of customary activities there 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 are religious roots to that. So we're talking about things like marriages and marriage traditions or um cooking certain types of food for example for celebrations and things like that so a lot of the time that what's motivating people to do what they do and to seek acceptance is uh, really motivated by wanting to be ostentatious and he says that this actually is what um, renders a person's deeds as worthless so when he says worthless here he means in terms of the thawab in terms of the reward that you would get and he says, he mentions a hadith This is Imam Mujawi that um, the Prophet ﷺ said that uh, indeed the, the ostentatious person will be called on the Day of Judgment by four names. They will be called a kafir, which is really serious, a non believer. Um, they'll be called ya fajir, which is a tyrant, ya ghadir, ya betrayer, and ya Hasir, ya loser and it will be said to them that you're that you have gone astray and that you have invalidated your reward and then it said uh, so there is no good for you today go and take your reward from the ones that you acted for or for the person that you acted for so it's very serious and uh, and as Imam Ghazali tells us from the beginning something that we need to really work hard on driving out of our hearts and replacing the desire to have others approve of us with sincerity, with ikhlas and doing things with sidik, um, with a truthful motivation to do things only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to seek and gain his pleasure alone and particularly the world that we live in at the moment, which is all about visuals, all about the way we look. Um, it's even more challenging than ever. Then with regards to the tradition, tradition or narration or this hadith, that, um, and most people will know this, that on the day of resurrection, orders will be given to take the martyr to fire. Um, so the shaheed, the one who died uh, fighting uh, in, the, in the path, of the deen and so he will plead and say oh lord i was martyred fighting in your path and allah will proclaim you wanted it to be said that you were brave and it was said and that is your reward Uh, so he says here as well imam ujawi that it will be mentioned to the the qari so the person who read the quran which also might Uh, which also includes uh, the scholar. So sometimes the scholar is called the Qari. Sometimes the Qari just means the person who recited the Quran, the person who read in a beautiful voice. Um, And today there are some places where learning the Quran really comes down to that. It's about how good is your Tajweed, how good is your voice. And often the meanings of the Quran can be lost in that pursuit, um, where people seek only to beautify their voices and not necessarily to understand the meaning of the Quran. So that's something that people need to be reminded of. And oftentimes people will hear the Quran being recited, and it might not be in the most beautiful voice, but if you actually listen to it, you would hear the reciter fully understanding those meanings and reciting the Quran. Um, with the intention of bringing out those meanings but that might not sound so beautiful so we really need to think about what are we doing with the Quran and uh, how are we giving it over that it's not just for recitation but it's actually for meaning which is far more important even though reciting it uh, in a beautiful voice uh, is part of its recitation but it's not the whole part and parcel. So, the same thing is mentioned to each of these uh, categories. And then it is um, said to them obviously, go and take your reward from the person that you read for or that you presented yourself as a scholar to. Um, or if you're going for Hajj, to show off that you can go every year, things like that. Um, and of course, to the soldier. So, this is a, a huge responsibility that people have to make sure that their intentions are sound and that they don't do these acts. For the sake of being recognised for it. Then Imam Mujawi tells us that there are five different types of showing off. And the first one he says is in the badan, so physically. And by that he means that, because we're talking about showing off in worship and good deeds. So he says the first is when a person presents themselves as very thin and pale and their hair is all messed up. Uh, which is meant to indicate that they're so thin because they only eat very little because they're so uh, sort of frugal and such an ascetic and that they're pale because they're up all night praying and that they have this incredible sort of uh, melancholy um, uh, vibe about them because, you know, they're so pious and they're, they're up all night crying and making du'a. And that uh, they look a bit messy and disheveled because they haven't got time to see to their uh, appearance because they're too busy with their dean and things like that. So this is by presenting oneself purposefully in that type of state, then this is a form of showing off physically. Then he says the second type is to show off in the person's uh, presentation or preparation of their clothing. Um, and that also that they should uh, lower their head when they walk so that they look like they're very um, humble and deep in reflective thought and that they move in a very sort of uh, gentle and precise way which is all performance, it's not really the way that they are um, or that they have uh, a sign of uh, sujood on their head and this is true, like some, some people I've noticed it um, in men more than in women, they do actually get a bit of a dark uh, mark on their forehead which is um, something that can just happen to anybody um, who people who make a lot of sujood and some people who don't make that much sujood but they get it as well uh, but people who would uh, try to have a mark like that remain on their head for others to see um, and also that they would wear a type of clothing that would associate them with pious people according to the time and place so the time this book was written it might be that they'd wear a heavy type of woolen fabric or almost like a hessian um which is what uh, the the sufis or the 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 dervishes would have worn at the time um and also that they're not too concerned with the things being very clean um and that they'll also wear a patch type of garment so because it looks like they're poor So the third one is that people showing off in their speech. So that's somebody obviously who tries to be particularly eloquent. And also it looks like uh, they try and do Amr Bil maruf for nahin and Munkar. So they try and uh, enjoin good and forbid evil through their speech. But in a way that people would be able to see that. Uh, They try and uh, show how angry they are when they see things that are detestable. Also they, they show, you know, how extremely saddened they are by when they see people doing um, acts of disobedience. Um, at other times, depending on the situation, perhaps they'll lower their voice when they're speaking or try and make their voice particularly sweet when they read Quran. And all of this is to show through their their speaking and their their, their oral skills that they really have a lot of fear and uh, melancholy or melancholiness about them the fourth is showing off in uh, works and this is a person who would do very very long salah long qiyam so they'll stand for a long time read as much quran as they can and then they'll do really really long ruku and really long sujood. And they'll show how still they are in in their movements when they pray. And they'll make sure that their limbs are all lined up perfectly. And he says likewise when they're fasting or in the Hajj or in giving Sadaka or feeding people. Then they go to great lengths to be seen to do these things in the most perfect way possible. And then the fifth way is when a person shows off by going to visit others. So... First of all, the person will mention the names of Shuyuk uh, or people, uh, prominent people in their community or in other places that they make a point of saying, oh, I've gone to visit sheikh so-and-so or this person or that person, pious people, because what they really want is for that sheikh or pious person to mention to others that they have been visited by them. So it's very subtle and it's sort of nasty because they want to go there and they think they're doing it like to get the benefit or the butter of visiting people, perhaps to get some good advice. But at the same time, there's always this underlying motivation, which has got to do with other people. So you can see through that how it really spoils your works and, and the things that you do and are meant to do for the sake of Allah. And so it's very subtle. And really the cure for it is difficult too. And that is to be the same publicly and privately. And that is the most difficult because it requires being equally as sincere in both. So that when you go out and you're with your friends or you're attending a class or you're going to do some, something in the community, for example, then the way you are with others, the way you speak to your friends, to your teachers, to whoever, should be the same way that you are at home. So if you are one way in public and then you go home and you're angry at everyone and you kick your shoes around and you slam stuff into the kitchen sink and slam doors and yell at people, all these things. And there's clearly not uh, a joining there between how you are publicly and privately. And so that's really the clearest way to see. Um, where you stand with regards to what you want other people to see from you and mostly we don't really want that veneration from the hearts of those who are closest to us. So on one hand we do because we want to be respected by our children for example but at the same time they would be the first that we would vent on or they're the first that we get really upset with um, and then say things that perhaps we might not want to say or might regret saying later So that's where it's hard and and for men as well because they particularly difficult because they have to go to work and be a certain way at work all the time and then when they come home and they're tired and they're frustrated and they've had difficulties with their manager or their colleagues or whatever then they want to come home and really um, get that off their chest And, and they can often behave in ways that they don't really want to behave in but they just Have so much pent up feeling that often it comes out on those who are closest to them in ways that aren't always the nicest so everybody has their challenges and the thing is that if we are able to get a grip on ourselves and get a grip on um, how we really are in all of our states and seek to make all of our states both publicly and privately to conform with the best of Akhlaq of the Prophet wasalam, and the companions who were the best people ever to set foot on the face of the earth. And then with those great role models, so the kudwa the that we have in um, the women of the Sahabiat and of the tabiat and of the pious women, the Abidat, and all those that we've read their stories and those who we know who we're blessed to be able to benefit from now in our lifetime so if we strive to implement what we see of the best of their character inshallah and really understand how we are both publicly and privately then inshallah we will be on our way uh, to ridding ourselves of this nasty vice of the heart which is ostentation and seeking to have that place in the hearts of other people inshallah may allah give us tawfiq it's a very very difficult one okay so we're going to go now to conceit arrogance and pride so ujab and kibar and fakhr. so there's uh this is a little bit longer this section um that imam ghazali has here so he says really that there are the three qualities envy ostentation and conceit but he also adds arrogance and pride um, under that category so it's still three but he's kind of extended it into five and uh, we'll go to the english here uh, where he says that conceit is a chronic disease of the soul so, al-udal, adaul udah So, it's a chronic um, illness. And he says that it's when the servant looks at himself with the eye of honor and self-glorification and at others with the eye of lowliness and disdain. The effect of this on the tongue is that he says, I this and I that. So, constantly referring to himself. And uh, this is exactly what. Iblis the accursed Iblis said that uh, in the Quran when he said I am better than he then I'm better than Satan Adam for you created me from fire and created him from clay Uh, and so that was really the first sin of the heart and the first act of arrogance because Iblis saw that there was something a quality in him that he thought was better than then the quality of the next created uh, being which was Sayyidina Adam a.s. and uh, so this is the first arrogance and the first transgression against himself because Iblis was from the jinn but he was an abid he was a worshipper and it said that he worshipped Allah for seven thousand years and that he worshipped in every single place on the earth and that every single one of those places would be a witness for him on the day of judgment that he had uh, worshipped there but as soon as he said this as soon as he got that slight bit of haughtiness or superiority in himself when he saw that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had created Sayyidina Adam then that invalidated everything that he had done before and was the very um state and the words that cast him out of the favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that really cast him aside because no longer was he a worshipper and content with what he saw in front of him and with what Allah had created but he was now starting to challenge that Um, and his challenge then of course led to rebellion and then he became uh, cast out completely and swore that he would uh, take the children of Adam with him to jahannam and he swore by the ease of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he would do that and allah gave him granted him that granted him that permission so this is why shaitan and the iblis is the big shaitan and all the shayateen and the other uh, rebellious and disobedient jinn who are there to lead us astray Um, this is why uh, they are why they do what they do and why they are our enemy uh, because their job is exclusively to lead us astray Um, and how did that start it started with arrogance with conceit in himself and with pride about the fact that he was created from fire as opposed to Adam being created from clay and they're both created things anyway fire and clay they have different qualities they different substances they do different things so in order to think that one is better than the other is a form of ignorance as well So Imam Ghazali goes on and he says the result of this, so when a person um, thinks that they are better than others and they look upon themselves in that way, is that when he's in the company of other people um, his uh, state is of self-exaltation. So he puts himself above others and he seeks also to have a type of precedence before others and to be in the forefront of gathering. So He should be the one who always sits at the front and he should be the one that everybody notices. And then he has a particular disdain for those who disagree with him. So these are the types of qualities that you would see in someone whose heart has been taken over by conceit or arrogance or pride. Okay, I think we've kind of mentioned that. Okay, so there's a Hadith here where... One of the Sahaba, whose name was Thabit bin Qais, may Allah be pleased with him, said to the Prophet uh, alayhi wasallam, Ya Rasulullah, he said, I am a man to whom beauty is made beloved. Would that be because of pride? And the Prophet alayhi wasallam, said, no. Um, he said, for pride is disregarding the truth and showing contempt and disdain towards people. So being proud doesn't mean that you have a type of arrogance necessarily about the things that have been given to you okay so what we do is if we dress well and present ourselves well in front of other people um and we do that sincerely to show the blessing of something upon us so okay so showing a blessing is not something that falls into this category because if you're pleased with what allah has given you and you wear that in a way which um, which shows that you're still humble but that you're able to present yourself in a good way and in a, in a, a pleasing way, then that doesn't mean that you have been afflicted with uh, conceit because you're not looking down on others. So it's really an inward state where you really think that there is something inherently superior about you to other people. Okay, so a lot of people will think, and this might go back to Uh, what has been explained already about the Riyadh of showing off and sort of wanting to show that oh you're you know just a humble and unworthy slave and that you're really just so impoverished and everything and sort of wanting people to see that you're pious so the first thing is oh I can't go and wear a fancy dress at the wedding for example because I want everyone to see that I'm pious that's and then if you do go wear a fancy dress then that's not being arrogant either So there's a fine line there and it comes down to your intention and it comes down to how you actually see yourself. So if you see yourself sincerely and honestly as just a humble slave to Allah but you still have a nice dress to wear, then that doesn't put you into the category of someone who's arrogant or trying to uh, show off. And if you really are a humble and sincere slave then you won't go purposefully trying to show people that, oh, you know, I'm such a zahid, I'm such an ascetic. oh, I'm not interested in clothes and things. But what you will do is say, mashallah, tabarakallah, um, alhamdulillah, luladhi, kasani, bihada. So you'll say, alhamdulillah for this outfit that I've got, alhamdulillah for the one who has dressed me and covered me without any uh, will or action from me and you will be pleased to show the beautiful thing that you have to wear. So this is where people can get a bit confused and this is why we need to take from these books. So we really learn what's the proper state to be in all the time with regards to ourselves, other people and to the blessings and things that we have around us. So then Imam Al Azali goes on and he says the proud person is the one who when given advice haughtily rejects it. So when they might laugh at the person who gives it to them out of haughtiness and out of arrogance and like who are you to tell me something like that Um, because uh, somebody who's humble, genuinely humble will never reject sincere advice regardless of who it comes from and when they give advice then they often are aggressive in their manner or they do it in a way where they try and make the person feel bad rather than trying to correct a person in a way that will give them the strength to try and overcome their issue Uh, rather they just try and put people down and so he says that anyone who considers himself better than any other of God's creatures is a person of hubris a person of um, great arrogance okay so he says that Indeed you should know that the virtuous person is the one who is virtuous in the estimation of Allah in the abode of the hereafter which is however unknown and is dependent upon one's state at the time of death So this is really the key point Okay. So if you didn't take anything from this lesson except for that then you would have got the most important part So being virtuous and being great it's got nothing to do with other people it's only got to do with how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has estimated you or how Allah sees you in the hereafter because we can carry on in all sorts of ways here in the dunya but only Allah knows how it's going to end for us and how our ultimate eternity is going to be so if Allah is pleased with us particularly when we come to Yom Qiyamah and whatever our judgment will be then then we're virtuous and we've done the right thing and it's got nothing to do with anybody else here in the dunya but the point is that this is currently unknown to us and it's dependent on the state that we die on so we know that we always seek and ask for husnul khatima so we always ask for the best ending Um, and the reason for that is because whatever state we die in is the state that we're going to be raised again so when we are resurrected to come before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment our physical form on that day so the physical form in which we are raised will be a manifestation of the state of the heart in which we died so if we died in a complete state of ghafla of negligence of ignorance Um, of hard-heartedness or arrogance towards others then the physical state that we are raised in will reflect that and we don't want that obviously we want to be raised in the best physical state because we want to have gone in the best state and to die in the best state means dying with dhikr dying with la ilaha illallah muhammad rasulullah on our tongues Um, dying having forgiven everybody with not holding any grudges um, and with being somebody who is pleased with their Lord and that Shaitan will come to us to the very, very last moment and we need to be aware of that because Shaitan will try and turn us at the last and so we can never be content or never be complacent and think, oh, Halas, I've spent my life worshipping, etc. and Allah's going to give me a good ending. We don't know and so we have to really, really prepare ourselves and it's said that if people speak during the Adhan So when the Adhan is going and people are not paying attention to it, then that's one of the things that will prevent them from saying the Shahada upon their death. So there's something to uh, tell your children as well. And so then he says here that your belief therefore that you are better than others is just sheer ignorance because nobody knows how they're going to end. And rather, you should not look at anyone else except with the consideration that he is better than you, that his merit is superior to yours and that you are nothing. So now Imam Ghazali gives us a few examples. And he says, so if you see a child, then you should say, oh, this person, this child has not disobeyed Allah, but I have because you're older than that child. So of course, you've got more time and have had more life experience to do more wrong. So you say to yourself, well, this child is undoubtedly better than me, even though it's so easy to think that you're that you're better and more superior to a child. Then he says, if you see an older person, you should say, this person has worshipped Allah before me, and so without a doubt, they are better than me. And that's, uh, that's also really important because uh, the time that we live in, older people are often looked down upon and particularly in Western culture not so much still in Muslim culture which is more traditional but even uh, older people from any sort of culture should always be looked upon because we don't know really how people are and we don't know the secrets that people have in their heart and their beliefs and then he says if the person you see is learned you should say oh this person has been given what I have not been given of knowledge and has reached a rank which I did not reach and has learnt that of which i am ignorant so how can i be like him and then if you see a person who is ignorant you should say this person has disobeyed allah through ignorance but i have disobeyed him knowingly so with knowledge so allah's argument against me is stronger and i do not know what end he will grant me and what end he will grant to him and then he says if the person you see is not a believer you should say I don't know. Perhaps he will accept Islam. Perhaps his life will end in doing good, and because of accepting Islam, he will emerge free of sin, just as a hair is gently removed from dough. So, as for me, perhaps God will cause me to go astray so that I become an unbeliever and my life will end in doing evil. Consequently, this uh, non believing person will be among those drawn near to God, and I shall be among those distanced. He says that uh, pride will not leave your heart until you know with certainty that the great person is the one who is great in the estimation of Allah Most High. So he's actually repeating this, which depends upon one's good state at death, which is uncertain. So again, this is so important that he's actually said it twice. And because of this uncertainty, the fear of a bad end will preoccupy you and keep you from being arrogant towards Allah's servants. Your certain and firm faith in God at present does not exclude the possibility of change in the future for Allah is the changer of hearts. He guides whom he pleases and he leads astray whom he pleases. So it's possible that Allah will actually end our states with happiness or end them with shakawa with uh, wretchedness. That's already been written. So we can't determine that for ourselves or other people. And then uh, finally, with this chapter here, or this last part here. So, Imam, it's, it's all fairly self-explanatory. And Imamu Jawi doesn't give that much more um, than what I've mentioned. So, it's, it's quite clear. But uh, he finishes up here by saying, The prophetic traditions on envy, ostentation, and arrogance are numerous. The following single hadith will be sufficient for you concerning these traits. And he mentions um, Ibn al Mubarak, which is Abdul ibn al Mubarak, related um, with a chain of narrators going back to a certain man. So, this is his own, this is Ibn al Mubarak's own collection of hadith. And uh, he says that this chain of narrators goes back to a certain man uh, whose name is uh, Khalid ibn Ma'adan. Ibn Abi Karb al-Kila'i, Abu Abdullah. And he says that he's a tabi'i, so he's one of the generations after the Sahaba. And he's mimman uh, ishtaharu So he's of the trustworthy and reliable narrators of those who are known for their worship. He says aslahu al Yemen. So his origin is Yemeni. وَيْقَامَتُهُ fi Humps And that he uh, lived and stayed in Homs in Syria, north of Damascus. And it says that he was in the police force of Yazid ibn Mu'awiyah. And it says كَانَ كَثِيرُ So he was somebody who made a lot of dhikr. فَلَمَّا مَاتَ So when he died in the year 104, أَصْبَعُهُ تَتَحَرَّكُ كَأَنَّهُ يُسَبِّحْ It says that his finger stayed. Okay, so his finger remained moving as though it was making tasbih. So as though he was moving a bead or moving up and down, somehow keeping count. So this is something known about him. And this story is narrated in Al-Alam, uh, which is a book of, from... Um, Khairuddin al Zarkali, who was actually a Syrian academic and scholar who passed away only in 1976, and he wrote a huge book many, many volumes of all the stories of the Arab, um, all the people he could find from history. So it's narrated in there. So this is the man that's referred to here when Ibn Ibn Mubarak says. Um, That he relates this story with a chain of narrators going back to a certain man. So that's who he meant. And that that man asked Mu'ad ibn Jabal, because this man was a tabi. So he asked Mu'ad ibn Jabal, who was the great Sahabi, Oh Mu'ad, tell me a hadith you heard from God's messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the man said that Mu'ad wept at this question until I thought that he would not cease. But at length he ceased to weep and then he said, I heard God's, God's Messenger Rasulullah saying to me, I'm going to tell you a hadith which, if you uphold it, it will benefit you. But if you neglect it, you will have no excuse before God on the day of resurrection. Yeah, Mu'adh, oh Mu'adh. And so the hadith starts and inshallah, that will come later and it's a very long hadith and quite uh, complex there's a lot in it so i will need quite a bit of time to explain that uh, and there's something else that imam Ujawi has uh, mentioned in here and so he says that he's got bayan isbabu kibbet. so he's got a bit of an outline here or an exposition on the causes of arrogance and he says that the arrogance is obviously as we've said Um, putting yourself above other people and he says that it's when a person believes that they have a characteristic or a quality from the qualities of perfection Uh, whether that be in his deen or in his dunya and that there are seven reasons for why a person might see themselves as having one of these uh, qualities of perfection and he says the first is ilam is knowledge and that real knowledge uh, if a person really has knowledge and they will know themselves properly and they will know who their Lord is and so that goes back to another statement where uh, sort of a famous statement that I don't know if it's a hadith some of these famous statements are some of them aren't Um, this one I'd have to check but um, where the person says whoever knows themselves knows their Lord okay and so the the thing is that if you also know yourself you know about the danger of your ending as Imam Ghazali has discussed so you would be aware that you're not certain to die with a good ending and you would also know um, the danger of knowledge Uh, because if a person has knowledge and they don't act on it then they are transgressing against themselves and also if a a person has knowledge and they use it the wrong way they're transgressing against themselves but the thing is that a person will become arrogant because of their knowledge if it isn't used in a way or understood with a proper manner of understanding to help you know exactly who you are and what you're doing here and who your lord is. Uh, the second has got three parts and that's um, being arrogant about your actions and your worship and the first he says that it's when arrogance stays in the heart so there's three levels the first level is when arrogance stays in the heart and when you see yourself better than others except if you're able to struggle against yourself and to become humble and um, do what you can to not see yourself as better than others and the problem is that you're going to really have a fight there once this tree of arrogance has been firmly planted in your heart and so you have to be able to cut off all the branches of it completely in order to uproot it so that you are not deluded about some quality that you think you have which you actually don't Um, the second level is when it shows on your limbs in the company of others as we've said through putting yourself forward in uh, gatherings and things like that Um, trying to uh, put yourself before your contemporaries uh, showing your uh, dislike for people if they don't give you what you think is your huck so if you think people aren't treating you properly or as you deserve like I deserve to be treated better than that this is a part of arrogance so if that shows on your face um, it also includes a frowning or an angry look um, which will come on your face if you hear about something that somebody else has done and and you actually like physically look repulsed from that, and that of course will depend on what it is because some things that people do really are repulsive but when it comes to a Muslim who has done the wrong thing, for example, and you come to know about it and you act like, you know, I'm so free from all these things and ooh, like, oh, that's so bad that they can do that. That's also a type of arrogance. And then the third there is um, expressing arrogance on the tongue. And that mostly from saying things, boasting about yourself and trying to exempt yourself from any impurity and then he says here that the third category is boasting about your nasab so boasting about your lineage and putting other people down if you think that their lineage is not as good as yours and one of the hadith on that is with the great sahabi abu dar abu dar al-gifari and he says here that It was reported that Abu Dhar al Ghifari said, I argued with a man in the presence of the Prophet, and I said, O son of a black woman. And the Prophet said, O Abu Dhar, you are all alike, you are all alike. The son of a white woman has no precedence over the son of a black woman. Then Abu Dhar continued and said, I lay on the floor and said to the man, Get up and stand on my cheek. So this is in the Ehya, so Imam Ghazali says, that, See how Allah's Messenger warned Abu Dhar against thinking that he had precedence over another man simply because his mother was white and that such an attitude stems from error and ignorance. And see also how Abu Dhar repented and uprooted from within himself the tree of pride for he realized that nothing would suppress self-glorification except humiliation. So there's a lot in that story obviously but showing the nasab so showing where you come from this is one of the the sins or the transgressions against ourselves that comes from pride and the fourth is in beauty and this is particularly with regards to women and he says that here uh, because What it does is it leads you to backbiting others and mentioning the faults of others. So somebody who's proud about the way they look, um, the color of their skin for example, um, or anything about them, the color of their eyes particularly. I know in the Arab world that colored eyes are a really big deal so people might uh, think that there's something better about them if they have colored eyes. Uh, So things like that which can lead to people speaking badly about others. Um, This is also an effect of arrogance and pride the fifth one is about money so people thinking obviously they're better than others because they have more wealth also between traders for example comparing the types of goods that they uh, trade people comparing the different quality of the land that they might own so is it fertile land or how's that land used and also people comparing their clothing their horses for example or their nowadays cars and uh, vehicles. The sixth is in uh, strength, um, and people being arrogant about how strong they are, and then the seventh is in how many followers they have. So again, because the students written for the book is written for students of knowledge, so the students um, who gather around the shaykh uh, is something that could be a point of boastfulness and pride and arrogance. And uh, a teacher might think that somehow they are better than others because they have more followers, of course, major issue with that on uh, social media. Um, So something that people need to be aware of. And also just because people have a following on social media, it doesn't necessarily mean that what they're saying is very good. And I've noticed that a lot, There's and everybody would have, there's just so much rubbish out there and uh, people getting massive numbers of followers and really what they're talking is just the most misleading and damaging and dangerous thing so we ask Allah to protect us and inshallah guide us firmly on the straight path a proper path of humbleness and a proper path of uh, knowing who we are compared to our lord inshallah ila nabi muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam بسم الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين نعمت عليهم وإن المغضوب عليهم ونالطالين آمين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك جزاكم الله خير اشتريكم الله جزاكم الله خير السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته